comes by the sea, sees his friend. It's his favorite place to be. He just, he, he loves being there and he, he finds a rock and he sits down. This is a place that he just loves to come and sit and think. Especially if something's bothering him. And he really hasn't had much time to, to, to do that the last three years. It seems like it's a whirlwind. Everything was going on. He was so busy, but now, uh, now he needs to be alone. He needs time to think. He needs time to work through some things. And so he sits and he just ponders. And his mind begins to race. And he just starts thinking about these last three years. And he goes, what a week. I mean, I've done some really dumb things in my life. But this one takes the cake. This was beyond stupid. I mean, what was I thinking? You know, once... Once in a while, I mean, maybe you should just think before you speak. I mean, maybe you should just think things through before you open your stupid mouth. I mean, you've done some classics. Hey, let's build three tabernacles. Yeah, for all three of them. That was brilliant. Lord, if it's really you, ask me to come out of the boat. Oh, that was like a great idea. Of course, it was pretty cool to walk on water for a few steps. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and then when he said, get behind me, Satan. Man, I was in rare form for that one. But this last one, man, it takes the cake. I mean, this one rises above all the stupid things I've ever done, I've ever said. I mean, he, he, he warned us. He, he told us what was going to happen. And he told us, you guys are all going to get scattered. And no, me, I go, oh, no, if they all deny you, I'm not going to deny you. That was great. What? And then, and then and that night, a servant girl, really? A servant girl? And, and three losers sitting around a fire, really? And I had to cuss and swear and stuff? Oh, man. And then he rises again like he told us he was going to do. He's alive. But man, I have let him down in the worst way. And I will never forget that look when he looked at me. Those eyes, so much love, so much compassion. But you know, it'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. I'm going fishing. Forget this. Have you ever felt that way? Where you just know you've done something and you just know that there is no recovering. Let's turn to John 21. John 21, starting with verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He manifested himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, uh, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples. There's like seven of them all together decided, forget this, I'm going fishing. So they all went fishing. And they're fishing um, all night. And it says, when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus said to them in verse 5, hey, do you guys have anything? They said, no. He said, to throw the, throw the net over on the right side of the boat and you'll find the catch. So they did and they did. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, hey, that's the Lord. And Peter, when he heard it, 
put on his outer garments, jumped into the sea, but the other disciples pulled the boat in, verse 8. I'm making this go fast because we have a lot to do this morning. So they got out of the boat, verse 9, he, there was charcoal, Jesus made a breakfast. Simon Peter went up through the net to the land, there was full of fish, a whole bunch of them. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Verse 13, he, took, he came down, took bread, gave it to them, and the fish likewise. Now this was the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is the, this is the, these are the verses I want you to get. So when they were, had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter, the one who said, if everybody else denies you, I won't. I'll stand alone. I love you more than all these guys. I'm more committed to you than all these guys. Jesus said, you love me more than these? And he said, well, yes, you know that I love you. Not more than these. I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You know, here's the exciting thing about Jesus and Jesus being Lord, is that Jesus recognizes who we are. And Jesus sees where we are, and Jesus knows our past. Jesus understands our past, and Jesus forgives our past. Here's the exciting thing about walking through a pilgrimage with Jesus, is Jesus forgives our past and points us towards his future. See, this is where we have hope, is when we know we have a God who understands who we are and where we've come, but knows his plan for us. And he can forgive us for our past and point us towards his future. And when we understand that it's his future that he's pointing us towards, it frees us to walk with him. It frees us to be his children. So Jesus came to Peter and restored him and just told him, hey, tend my lambs. That's my future for you. Shepherd my sheep. That's my future for you. Tend my sheep. That's my future for you. Do you think Peter felt like he was going to do that? I don't think so. I don't think that even at that point, Peter had any idea what God had in plan for him. And here's, the, here's what I really want you to understand as we go through life as people and as we look at how we pray for each other. If you're feeling judged, if you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling like a failure, if you're feeling like you have no hope, that is not of the Lord. That is coming from the deepest pits of hell. Satan judges. Satan condemns. Satan is the one who gives us despair and hopelessness. So if you're feeling that, know that it's Satan who judges. Jesus redeems. Jesus comes to forgive us. Jesus comes to give mercy. Jesus comes to give grace. Jesus comes to give hope. So Jesus comes to Peter at a point where Peter, even though he's seen him two other times, I'm sure still felt like he so let Jesus down that there is no way that God could use him. This was like the ultimate failure. And yet Jesus comes, meets him on the shore because he wants Peter to know that he has a plan for Peter. Because here's the thing that I think if we can get our arms around this principle, does it really matter if you have an all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing, bad creator who can get your back if he's disengaged, doesn't love you, doesn't like you, and doesn't care what happens in your life? 
In fact, if he's judgmental, critical, and condemning. No, I mean, who wants to have that kind of a father? And like we talked about last Sunday, God so desperately wants us to understand that he is omniscient, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he is love. He doesn't just love, he is love. He just doesn't love us in these situations. He is loving. He was loving before creation. He's going to be loving for eternity. He is love. When we are filled with the fullness of God, we are filled with the fullness of what love is. And when we understand that, redemption, mercy, grace becomes a powerful thing for us. So let's turn to Ephesians 3. We spent last Sunday looking at the first few verses of, of this prayer of Paul's. And what a powerful way to pray for each other. The last two verses, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I cannot read that without smiling. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Is there an amen to that? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a, what a great passage. What a great prayer that we can pray for our body, for each other. If we're really better together, we will be so strong as we pray these things into each other's lives. Could you imagine as we walk around the church and we have this prayer thing and we say, Lord, do far more abundantly than anything we could ever think or imagine this week. That'd be amazing. How does that get lived out? Let's look at Peter. Okay, let's fast forward a, little, a few days after uh, this experience with Peter on the shore. And let's go to the book of Acts. Doug's been taking us through some of this stuff, so some of it will be familiar, but it's really good stuff. So Acts is back to the left, a few books. We're going to be in Acts 2. Actually, we're going to go through chapter 2, 3, and 4. So I'm just going to have them bring the snacks in here. <laughs> Make it easy on us all. So, Acts 2, and we're, I'm just going to do the cliff notes for you guys, so we're really not going to read all this stuff, but I want to camp on it for a few verses. So, Acts 2, starting with verse 1, Pentecost happens, there's this, this uh, from heaven this noise comes, violent rushing wind fills the whole house where they're sitting, there's tongues of fire that distribute among them, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit's given them utterance. People from all over, Jews, are, are hearing all this noise, and so they're coming. And in verse 9, 10, 11, it talks about all the different people that are there from all the different regions who are hearing people talking in their own language. Pretty amazing. 
And so they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying, hey, what does this mean? And some people are saying they're drunk with sweet wine. Verse 14, Peter, this Peter on the shore that Jesus came to redeem, stood up. Now here's something that's interesting to me. It says, Peter taking his stand with the eleven. This is the same Peter that says, if everybody else denies you, I am Rambo. Right? Peter realized that he is better together. He's better when he's a part of the body. He's better when he stands with the eleven. He's stronger when he comes together and allows all of the disciples and all of the body of Christ to be a strength and a, a source of strength. So it says that it, when he, he's taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. And then he goes on and preaches this message. And it says in verse 37, and after he preached this message, that when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. And then it says, with many are the words, you saw me testified to be safe from this generation. Then it says in verse 41, so then those who received the word were baptized. And that day there was added about 3,000 souls. So do you think maybe that God did more abundantly beyond anything Peter could think or imagine? Do you think a few days earlier, Peter said, you know, I think I'm just going to stand up and I'm going to preach a message and 3,000 people are just going to come and be saved. I don't think in his wildest imagination, he thought this would happen. Anything would happen that happened in, two, in, in chapter 2. Are you with me? So do you think that maybe when we start thinking about what could God do in our life that would be a, a, a you know, more abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think that it might be something that actually might be more abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think, <laughs> you know? And, and God didn't stop there. And Doug, Doug shared this a few weeks ago, but let's turn to, let's go to chapter three. Peter and John were going to the temple at the, at the ninth hour of the hour of prayer. A man who had been lame from, with his mother was laying at the temple waiting for alms. Peter and John came and they looked at him they began, and he began to give their attention. Then verse six, Peter says, I don't possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene walk. And he reached out his hand, grabbed the guy, jumped up and started dancing all over the place. Do you think maybe when he was on the shore having some fish with Jesus that he thought this was going to happen? Now, here's the thing that Paul wants us to pray. He says, he says um, you know, that, 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 um, that for this, uh, let me see, how does that verse go now? Does anybody want to quote that verse? That you would be, that you would have the more abundantly through the power that works within you, okay? Got to turn to the Bible and read it. But here's the thing with Peter is, is that, we, that he would do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think through the power that dwells within you. See, the thing that's exciting about God, and I don't know why he does this, but he fills us with his spirit, with his love, with his power, so that we can, he, we can execute his plan, so that he could use us to do what he wants to do. See, see, he just doesn't do it. He, he, he allows us to be a part of his plan. And I don't get it because if I was him, I would not be part of his plan. I'd have been out the door a long time ago. I mean, how many times can you mess something up before you go, okay, that's enough, last chance. You're done. But that's not how he asked. What would have happened if Peter and John would have just walked by and said, hi, dude, hang in there. 
Would people have, have wondered how did this guy get healed? Would, 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 would he have been jumping and dancing? And what happened the whole rest of, of, of uh, chapter 3 is people were looking at him going, what the heck happened? How did this happen? And Peter gets to preach another sermon. This is a fisherman, didn't go to seminary, doesn't have his PhD, hasn't done any of, any of that educational stuff, and he gets up and he starts preaching another message, using Scripture, sharing Scripture, tying Scripture together, helping people understand who this Jesus is that they crucified. Exceedingly abundantly beyond what Peter could have imagined. Through the power that worked within him. If he didn't preach... The message wouldn't have gotten out. If he didn't act, it wouldn't have happened. If God brings you to the store and you're standing next to somebody and God says, talk to that person, and you go, were you talking to me? Couldn't be talking to me. No, I'm not talking to that person. I can't talk to that person. He goes, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. I'm not that person. <laughs> you do exceedingly abundantly. You talk to that person. He goes, no, you talk to that person. I'm not talking to that person. And then you talk to that person. And you have a great conversation. They end up coming to church. They come to the Lord. And then they talk to somebody. And they talk to somebody. They talk to somebody. They talk to somebody. They talk to somebody. And in eternity, there's 100 million people that came to the Lord because you talked to somebody in line through the power that worked within you. That's exceeding abundantly beyond every, whatever you could imagine God could do. And it's a little thing, right? When we understand the power of what God wants to do to help us be a part of his plan, it's amazing. And so he, he shares this message with, with the people and the Pharisees and stuff, they find out for chapter four, they come and, and they grab them. They're disturbed because of the teaching of the people and they're proclaiming Christ and they laid hands on them, put them in jail till the next day. Verse four of chapter four of Acts, many of those who had heard the message believed and a number of men now became 5,000. Wow. And the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, the guy that was up there talking to Jesus when Peter was so freaked out, he denied him three times. Those same guys are now talking to him and John. And they placed him in the center and they began to ask him, so by what power and what name have you done this? And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit fill us? So that we can have the power of the Spirit work within us to be able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. We don't, we don't get filled with the Spirit so we can roll on the floor and speak in tongues. We get filled with the Spirit so God can use us with the power that he pours in us to be a light in the midst of darkness. We got to get that. We're, we're equipped. The only time that we can be filled with the Spirit to be used by God to impact the kingdom is here. Once we get to heaven, there's going to be light. I can shine my light and people go, well, I really don't see a difference, Dave. Because the radiating light of Jesus is going to just be a massive. We get to be a light here now through the power of the Spirit that so fills us with the love of Christ that we love people. And people see that love and amazing things happen. So they're standing in the middle. These guys are filled with the Spirit. And, and, and the, um, he says, rulers and elders, therefore on trial for a benefit done of sick guy. You guys, be, you, you know, you, it, let it be known to you that it was Jesus, the, the Nazarene. He was a stone. He preaches to those guys. 
They observed, uh, they observed in verse 13 the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men and they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. How do untrained, uneducated men share this truth the way that they're sharing the truth? It's because God has the power to do stuff in us that we would never be able to comprehend of an, uh, of, on our own. And so they did that, and John and Peter, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they really had nothing to say. Duh. But when they uh, ordered them to leave the council, they began to talk to, other, to each other, going, so what do we do? If we do this, it's going to happen. If we do that, it's going to happen. So verse 18, they summoned them back, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So the same Peter who denied Jesus three times answered them and said, hey, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you or rather than to God, you be the judge. Verse 20, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And they threatened him further and they sent him out. Does this sound like the same Peter that was, that was talking to some ser servant girl telling her that he didn't know who this guy was? Isn't it amazing what the transformational work of the Holy Spirit can do in our lives? That's an amen. I will, I'll say amen to that. Filled with the Spirit, filled with confidence, transformed from fear to faith. Do we get transformed from fear to faith by trying harder? Do we get transformed by working harder? Do we get transformed by being more, more diligent? We get transformed when God fills us with His Spirit. And when we can pray for each other, that we would be strengthened in the inner man through His Spirit. When we can pray for each other, that we would be people who would know His love, that we would have Jesus in our hearts through faith so that we could be rooted and grounded in love, so that we can know the immenseness of God's love, so it would be so all-encompassing that we would have peace and joy and strength. And it doesn't really matter what happens around us because we know we have a God who loves us. We know we have a God who cares about us. We know we have a God who's in control. And we can trust that God. Amen. Amen. God, sometimes I think I'm talking to myself. You guys can participate. It's okay. I'm enjoying it. Even if you guys all go to sleep, this thing's really good. <laughs> Here's the exciting thing. Do you know, do you think that when Jesus talked to Peter on the shore, Jesus had an idea what might happen? Yeah, probably. <laughs> think Peter had any idea? Heck no. You think God knows what you're going through right now? Yeah. Do you think he cares? Yeah. Do you think he has a purpose? Yes. Do you think it's exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think? Yes. Absolutely. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to understand that. He wants us to get our arms around that. Because here's the thing. It's just easy for us to go, yeah, but I'm different. What I'm going through is different. I mean, think of Paul. I mean, if we, if we just think of Paul's life, I mean, let's just take a few minutes to look at Paul. Let's go to Acts 9. So we're in Acts 2. Go forward a little bit to Acts 9. And let's just kind of look at Paul and Paul's pilgrimage. And, and again, um, Acts 8, verse 1 says, Stephen was stoned in Acts 7. So, and then he sees the glory of God. People get all upset and, and they stone him. 8, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region in Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. And then it says in verse 3 that Saul began ravaging the church 
entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And then as we go to verse 9, it says that Saul, in verse, in, in verse 1 of chapter 9, says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Then it says, as he was traveling, suddenly there's a light that shone. He fell to the ground. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He goes, oh, really? He gets up, enters the city. He'll be told you what you must do. So the people traveling with couldn't figure it out. They heard the voice, didn't see anybody. Saul got up off the ground, went to Damascus. God starts talking to this guy named Ananias in verse 10. Ananias goes, here I am, Lord. That was his first mistake. The Lord said, hey, I want you to get up, go to the street, call straight. You're going to see this guy named Saul. He's praying. He's seen a vision of a man named Ananias who's going to come and talk to him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias says, God, let me clue you in. <laughs> Saul's not a friend. He's a foe. I, you know this, just so we know that we're talking about the same Saul. You're talking about Saul, the one who's killing everybody, or is there another Saul that I don't know about? He goes, no, you got the right Saul. And he says, he says, the Lord said to him, verse 15, go, now listen to this, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Remember we talked last Sunday about Saul being somebody who was prominent in religious circles. Most of the political leaders knew who he was, either personally or by reputation. And then verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Isn't that a great way to be called? I got a great plan for you, Dave. You're going to um, be around kings, unbelievers, you're going to be in palaces. Oh, by the way, I, I just want you to know how much you're going to suffer. <laughs> now, we would think... If I'm going to suffer in a palace, I'll, I'll, you know, if I can be in Bill Gates' house, okay, I'll suffer. But what was he talking about when he was talking about Paul suffering? Let's turn to um, 2 Corinthians 11. Because I want us to get this, because sometimes when we think of, you know, God doing far more abundantly beyond anything we ask or think, we tend to think of it in terms of materialistic things, right? If God's going to do exceedingly more, I mean, I just want him to give me more money. I just want him to make my job easier. I just want him to give me a nicer house. I just want him to keep my car from breaking down. I just want him to, you know. And typically the things that we measure are things that are physical things that we measure. And then we measure whether God's doing that based on are we comfortable, are we happy, are we prosperous, are things going right for us? Because if all those things are happening, then God must be doing abundantly more than I could ask or think, right? But if they're not happening, then God isn't doing that, right? So if I don't have a job, if I'm fighting with my wife all the time, if my kids aren't listening to me and they're running off and doing stupid things, if my boss is treating me bad, if I'm not feeling good, if I'm in pain, if I, if all that, then God must not be doing far more abundantly beyond anything I could ask or think, right? So that's a logical thought process, but that isn't God's thought process. 
God says we don't measure things based on that criteria. Because Paul, if you start with chapter 11, we're going to start with verse 21. He says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am said as, I am just as bold myself. And then he goes, listen, he starts talking about who he is. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger. Five times I've received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me uh, of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he is at he, he who is blessed forever and ever knows that I'm not lying. Does that sound like a life that you want to live? Lord, help me to be blessed far more abundantly beyond anything I could ask or think. More shipwreck, more beatings, more rods, more hunger, more famine, more sickness. That's Paul's life. And then he says, the God and Father, of Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows I'm not lying. And then he goes in Damascus. This guy, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus. They tried to kill him. He was lowered down in a basket when he first came to the Lord. And then listen to this and starting in chapter 12. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations. So Paul is establishing his case with the Corinthians. And he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up into the third heaven. This is why Paul is so passionate about God doing amazing things and who God is. Paul just got a a sneak peek into, into glory. And when he says that, I pray that he would grant you according to the, uh, to the uh, fullness of his glory. He goes, I know exactly what I'm talking about, you guys. If, if you could get this, it would be unbelievable. So he goes, he goes, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows. I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. So Paul sees the glory of God and he goes, man, I just see myself now um, in, the, in, in the, the context of that being so insignificant that God can do so much through me. And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, verse 7, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, There has given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I'm trying to give us context of how we look at this prayer as we pray for each other and how we measure it. Because sometimes when we, when we talk about something being far more abundantly um, before, far more abundant beyond anything we could ask or think, and we start praying for what we want God to do, we have, we have this, this um, materialistic thought process that just filters through it because it's really all that we know. And when, 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 we were, when, when, when Jesus was talking to, um, to Peter, after he asked Peter if he loved him three times, the very next verse, after Peter goes, you know I love you, and he says, tend my sheep, Jesus said this to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. This is signifying what kind of death, not what kind of death he would die, what kind of death he would glorify God. To him be the glory in the church for generations. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. And Peter followed him. See, here's the thing that I want us to really get our arms around. So when you think of, of Peter's life, do you, do you think that Peter in his wild imagination would have seen acts happen? Could he have, could he have orchestrated what happened in acts? O only God could pull that off. Do you think Paul, when, when, he was, when he was blinded and he was knocked off of his donkey and he was talked by Jesus and, and, and scales came off his eyes and Ananias came and the Holy Spirit filled him, do you think in, in Paul's wildest imagination he would have known the ministry that God had for him and the impact that God had? Could you, could you in your wildest imagination as a human being comprehend what your impact would be on human beings 2,000 years later. Can we even grasp that? We don't even know if there is a 2,000 years later. Right? You know who does? The creator of the universe. The eternal father who has a plan. That's the eternal plan who we get to be a part in for this amount of time. It's about this amount of time. And if we understand that it's about this amount of time, we won't get stressed out when we're not as comfortable as we'd like to be. Because we don't, we don't get what he's doing. We don't understand what he's doing. See, God's capabilities, God's capabilities are always aligned with God's plan. See, when God empowers us, when he talks about you know, granting us according to, you know, his power that we would be able to have stuff that is, that's, that's beyond our wildest imaginations, be, you know, beyond what we could ask or think. 
it's according to his plan. It's according to what he wants to accomplish with his plan. And he's going he's to equip us to do what he wants to do through us because we're strengthened with power in their man. So we're strengthened so that we would be filled with Christ. And what is Christ? Christ is love. When we get filled with Christ, when we have Christ come into our heart through faith, we get rooted and we get grounded in love so that it doesn't matter what happens in our life, love is manifested. It doesn't matter what's going on. When we're rooted and we're grounded in love, we know that God loves us. We know that God cares about us. We know that God is in control. And when that fullness of God so embodies us, We can say to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think through that power that works within us, not just out there somewhere. It's not just something that happens. God isn't just throwing Tinkerbell all over the world going sprinkle, 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 sprinkle. It's like empower, 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 empower. So that I can use you, so 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 I can use you. Because I have a plan and and you get to be a part of the plan. He doesn't need us to be a part of the plan. He lets us be a part of the plan. And he empowers us so we can be a part of the plan. If we choose not to be a part of the plan, you think his plan is going to fall apart? No! We're just going to get to heaven and go, oh, let me do it again, please. I didn't know. It's so important for us to be so tied into the Lord. Why are we better together? Because the things that I understand about God are different from what Robbie understands. How I see God is way different than how Rachel sees God. And I I need that. I need to get different perspectives of different people who have had different experiences, who have had God do different things in their life so that I can grow to understand God more completely. And we come together and and all of us come together in our differences and in the different gifts that we have and the different ways that God put us together. Those gifts come together. When those gifts come together, people see Jesus more clearly. See, when we have people who know the word, who know um, scripture, who understand scripture, they can become very strict and controlling and judgmental and stuff. They need somebody who's loving and caring and sensitive, and they need to listen to those people so we become a church that's full of grace and full of truth, that's living in the community in a powerful way because, because we're preaching truth, and we're telling the truth in love. We need to come together for that. And, I, and, I, and I, don't, I don't want us to misunderstand because some of us are going through issues. Some of us are going through significant physical issues. Some of us are going through relational issues. Some of us, some of us are going finance, through financial issues. Some of us are looking for jobs. Some of us are trying to get things in order. You know, some of us are, are going through psychological struggles. Some of us are struggling with feelings of guilt and disappointment and despair. Some of us may be just feeling like failures. Those are real emotions. Those are real things that, that we deal with on a daily basis. Paul dealt with that. You know, I can't imagine what it would be like to be Paul and going into Christian communities and having some go, you know, my mother's in prison because of you. My dad was murdered because of you. Or even if somebody didn't say anything, when he goes into a community, he goes, man, I ravaged this community. How could I have done that? How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so stupid? 
And when he sees how families have been destroyed or damaged with, because of what he did, I mean, the impact of what Paul must have had on families and some of the communities that he went into must be devastating for him emotionally. And I think that's why God did some things to help Paul see a bigger picture. Because how emotionally struggling must that have been for him? And so as we go through these things, I want us to be confident that, that, that these are real issues. And God is a God who understands them. And God is a God who wants to strengthen you with power through his spirit. So that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. And so that you can know by being rooted and grounded, solid, how much he loves you. And that you could be so surrounded by his love that it doesn't matter what you're going through. It matters emotionally, but we can have peace in that. You shouldn't be thinking, well, I must not be a good Christian because I'm really struggling with this. I got to work harder. No, we do struggle with this stuff. Read the Psalms. I mean, there's, read the Bible. I mean, we're human beings who struggle. What God wants us to know is in the midst of that struggle, I love you. And I'm empowering you. And I'm using you. And, and, and the stuff that you're going through is going to be used for the glory of God. Have hope. Have strength. Have courage. I have a plan for you that's a great plan. Do I know what he's going to do? No. Do I know how he's going to do it? No. Do I know when he's going to do it? No. Do I know the fruit of what he's going to do? No. Do I know that he's going to do far more abundantly beyond anything I ask or think? Yes. Do I know what that will look like? No. Does that mean God doesn't love me? No. So if we can begin to understand this stuff and we can begin to pray for each other, I think we could have a powerful, powerful, powerful impact on the body when we start praying that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit and inner man. When we start praying for each other that Christ would so fill us with his love and his presence that it would be transformational on how we love each other and how we reach out to each other and how we respond to the Lord as he leads us and as he, as he guides us. And that we would be open to the, to the work he wants to do as he does exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And by the way, to whose glory? His glory. You see, here's the exciting thing. The power comes from him, right? Peter knew it wasn't him. John knew it wasn't him. Paul knew it wasn't him. They go, this was totally of the Lord. So if the power comes from him, where does the glory go? To him. The power comes from him. The glory goes to him. The power comes from him. The glory goes to him. The power comes from him. The glory goes to him. What a great way to walk when we know that it doesn't matter because the power is going to come from him and the glory is going to go to him. People, let's walk that way. Let's live that way. Let's love that way. Let's pray that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God of power and you're a God of grace. 
And Father, you're a God that um, has a purpose and a plan, and we get to be a part of that. And so, Father, we just pray, one, that we would just open our hearts for all that you want to pour into us. That we would allow your Holy Spirit to so fill us and so strengthen us that the transformation would be noticeable to those around us. And that the love would just be pouring out through us as we love other people. And Father, that we would anticipate what you would do in our lives, that it would be far more abundant beyond anything we could ask or think. And that you're going to do that in us so that you can use us, so that we can participate in it. Give us the strength to participate when you call us to. And Lord, we're going to give you the glory. We know the power comes from you. We know the glory goes to you. So we give ourselves to you, Father, to use however you choose for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. And everybody said, amen. Amen.